0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Making the most of now. Young women in Otatahi, Christchurch, New Zealand, talk about living through the earthquakes, the mosque shootings, and the COVID-19 pandemic. These oral histories were recorded by Louise Tapper and Rosemary DePleese. Thanks to the Christchurch branch of the National Council of Women, the Collaborative Trust, and UC Quake Studies. Our first story is from Asayal. Asayal is 22 and has just finished her university studies. She's a member of Christchurch's Muslim community.
1: My name is
2: Asail. Just to give us a little bit of a, a background, can you just tell me um, about your life at the moment?
1: Okay, so at the moment, uh, I recently, well, last year, graduated with my speech therapy degree and then I was hoping um, to go overseas back to um, my home country of Saudi Arabia to gain transfer my skills in a, another language so in Arabic to gain those skills just to be able to experience working as a speech therapist in both languages so I went back to Saudi Arabia for a few months but unfortunately after COVID um, started getting a bit worse I decided to come back and stay with my family with my mum and my siblings here in Christchurch so I came back and then everything went into lockdown so I haven't been up to much this year but I'll be starting my first job um, as a speech therapist in the next two weeks hopefully yeah that's great and where are you going yourself? Well? Um, I'll be heading to Palmerston North i um, working for the Ministry of Education
2: yeah so that will that involve going into schools Yeah,
1: so it's um, as a speech therapist for the Ministry of Education, you kind of work with a wide range of um, people. So you're either going in homes, um, visiting parents, or you're going to early childhood um, centres or schools. Um, Yeah, so it's a range of things, but yeah, you're always out and about. Mm.
2: Okay. Um, It's a shame you didn't go back to do your... Yeah, Yeah.
1: that would have been great to get that... um, uh, exposure in another language, but then, I mean, I'm pretty lucky to be here, it's a pretty safe place, and yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no complaints.
2: <laughs> okay, can we just go over a bit of sort of Christchurch-related history now, because there's been yeah. a bit happening, hasn't yeah. there, now? Yeah. Um, what do you remember most about the time of the Canterbury earthquake? Um, So,
1: we, we, I remember that I was in year eight, and we had just moved to Christchurch from Auckland, and we had most like moved towards that start of that year, um, not even a year and I think it was nine months the first September earthquakes hit, um, which was a huge shock for me and my family. We didn't really have, we didn't really know that many people in Christchurch because we were so new, we didn't really know what was going on. Um, it was a very scary time and then dad decided that it would be safer to move us to Timaru. So we went to Timaru for two years after the first earthquakes, and then um, I think we kind of just really liked Christchurch so much um, that after the first two years we decided to come back.
2: Yeah, how many in your family at that time were there?
1: Um, so I, at that time I was the, there was four of us. I was the oldest of four children, and then my parents. Um, now we've grown. I'm the oldest of six children. <laughs> yeah. So at the time, there was four kids, yeah.
2: And your father and mother were working in Christchurch?
1: Um, yeah, no, so my dad was working on completing his PhD. Um, and then so that's why when, after the earthquakes, he said he found that he could still complete his um, PhD while being in Timaru and just making sure that we're a bit safer. Um, yeah, so we weren't here for the February earthquake, but we definitely did feel it in Timaru. And it was still as much of a shock to us as everyone else. Um, Just seeing everything, and yeah, just remembering it so vividly. Um, But yeah, over the years, we after moving to Christchurch, it's it's been like home for us, and we're so used to it, and we're so happy to like live in Christchurch. Such an awesome place, and um, yeah, such a resilient city. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So the earthquakes at the um, the September one, were you? Can you remember? It was in the night time, so you were in your home. Yeah. Mm.
1: So I remember. I don't, I can't remember if it was a weekend or not, but f- f- at that time it was actually the M- Muslim fasting month of Ramadan, and so what we do is, you know, we fast during the day, and then at night we have a period where we c- we can eat during the night. So at that time, I remember. It was really early hours, and then I decided, or me and my siblings were watching a movie in the living room, and we just decided to sleep in the living room that night, and um, my parents were still awake um, during that time. I think they had just gotten up for morning prayers or something, and um, I just remember waking up, Thinking because I kind of day like dream a lot, so I was thinking I was in a dream, and then I would just I thought it were, I thought I could hear really strong winds, and I was like, oh, that's weird, like you know, and then I look at the cabinet, and then I was like, oh, that's so weird that the wind would move the cabinet inside the house until it made a loud sound, and that's when I kind of woke up. And then I heard my parents kind of like um, yelling for us um, but we we're out for whatever reason me and my siblings were in the living room sleeping I think it was after our movie night we had just like had our we were laid out there and um, so it was really good that we were in one area and then we managed to like go to the garage we didn't really know what to do as, as I said it was our first experience We went to our neighbours and we're like, what are you guys doing? And then everyone's like, was either going to their family or was either, you know, and we didn't have any family, so we didn't know where to go. Um, We didn't want to drive too far. We lived in Belfast at that time. We didn't want to drive too far into the city. So we just kept circling our neighbourhood and we're like asking our neighbours, what should we do? And they're like, oh, like just, they were pretty calm. They were like, you know, just stay home, like, and, Dad was really scared about letting us go back inside, but I think by like we stayed in the car till it was like ten am or something, and then we managed to go inside, back inside the house. And yeah, I don't know. I yeah, that's all I can remember from that night. (laughs) Yeah. And
2: interesting that your your parents or your dad, you think particularly, was concerned enough to move out of Christchurch at that time. So so, did he worry that there were going to be more earthquakes?
1: Yeah, I think actually out of all of us, we didn't really realize how much it affected dad. Um, I think out of the whole family, he was affected the most, like his sleep. He couldn't sleep properly. He was just so worried that something was going to happen. He would only sleep like during the day when he knew we were awake and out and about. He couldn't sleep during the night, um, I think for a long period of time. And he'd get like nightmares or like, you know. So he was really, really worried even about us going back to school or like things like that. So I think just for him, for his peace, um, he decided that... Oh, no, we actually went to Auckland for a few weeks after that, I don't remember. We went to Auckland for a few weeks, um, the Saudi Arabian em- uh, Embassy um, told us to go to Auckland and we stayed in our um, motel for a few weeks and then um We ended up going back to Saudi for a month or two, and then we came back to Timor. so started so September the earthquakes happened and then February when the new school year started, we started off in Timaru. Mm-hmm. so yeah, it was um yeah mainly for Dad,
2: he was really affected, mm. yeah. And do you remember that being okay for you, changing schools again, because you had not been very long in the other school in Christchurch, I guess? Um, no,
1: it was a really big shock for me. It was When we first moved to Christchurch, it was the first year of me wearing my headscarf, so it was already a big change. I went from um, being someone that fit in really easily to like suddenly being the other, which was not nice. Um, like before that like you know I came to New Zealand when I was five or six years old so I was pretty used to like fitting in really easily you no know, one questioning like where I'm from or if I could speak English to all of a sudden you know being the other which I understand like at the end of the day they're kids like they're going to notice if someone's different but for me as someone that was becoming a teenager you're already so self-conscious about what you look like and then on top of it you have people that like assume you have cancer or like just like you know like weird things like that and then you're always like on the defense like you're always trying to prove people wrong so year eight was a difficult year for me but like I had an amazing teacher like she was such an amazing teacher and she helped me so much um so yeah year eight wasn't the greatest and then uh, moving to tomorrow being the only one wearing a headscarf in a a whole school like a high school uh, it was a girl's school super super hard as well Um, it took me a long time to adjust but when I did like I think I did really well and I thrived and I made some um, long lasting friendships and the girls were amazing but yeah adjusting was really hard at the start Um, but yeah Tamaru as a whole was a a great city Um, once people got to know you but like walking in the street and stuff like that wasn't really nice like you kind of got words shouted at you like on the regular um, walking home and to and from school, you know, so things like that, but once people got to know you and you got to know like some great people, it was really nice, yeah, mm. so I remember, yeah, it was, adjusting to high school was
2: quite difficult for me, um, and yeah. <laughs> and then you moved again back to Christchurch. Yeah, so
1: I moved to Christchurch and I attended Burnside High School, which is such an awesome school, it was Yeah, going from a small school of four hundred girls to all of a sudden two thousand six hundred or something crazy, um, it was definitely a shock. But I did I I knew a few girls before moving, which really helped, and I had no problem making friendships and like getting connecting with people, as well as um the Muslim community here in Christchurch is quite big, so I knew I met a lot of people and I did um yeah just. Lots of community events and kind of our community was really tight knit. So yeah, I had no problem Kind of meeting people. So it was really good to be back in Christchurch.
2: Yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, and did the, do you think the rest of your family felt that too? Were happy to be back?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think they all really um, liked it when we moved back. Yeah, especially mm. to um, everyone just settled in really easily and really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah
2: and um, was it okay for your, your dad or your mum to get work in Christchurch?
1: Um, actually so, after dad finished his PhD, he couldn't find work in New Zealand. Um, he looked really hard in all over the cities, so he has a PhD in like education. And um, so he worked really, really hard to look for a job, because at that time he was still on a student visa and we we're still on like st- uh, student visas. Um, But he couldn't so he had so that's why dad's overseas at the moment. He's working back home in Saudi Arabia and um, Yeah, unfortunately, we still haven't gained our residency, which is you know, we've been here for Like 15 years or over. Yeah, and we still haven't been able to gain residency just because it's been difficult like for him finding work, so he kind of gave up and then he went back and mum at the moment is working as a community support worker, but it's just part time, and unfortunately, that doesn't make her eligible for a residency visa because you need to be earning a certain amount of money. Um, yeah, so for so yeah, he couldn't find work. So, but he was completing his final when we moved to Christchurch. He was in his final year of his PhD, I think. So he's still studying, and then. It was good because he needed to be in the office more and more during the last year, so us being in Christchurch was
2: just easier for him. And yeah, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. But um, just uh, the other event, more recent event yeah. that was pretty shocking for us here and all of everybody in yeah. Christchurch was, was um, the mosque shooting. So, so what do you remember about then? What was happening in your life then?
1: Um. Yeah. So we uh we go. Very regularly to the mosque, like we go on a weekly basis. Um, to another mosque, and um, my dad and my brother would always go. And at that time, my brother was supposed to be heading there, but he was running late. He's he was at uni and he was running late because he cycles. Um, so he just decided um to miss. Out. I think it was raining as well. Like it was starting to rain a little bit, so he decided not to go. I was um. I had just finished the class and I just went home to take a nap and then I my phone kept ringing and I saw it was my friends and I kept I just kind of didn't answer because I I thought they would they were looking for me at uni but so but I had already told them that I was going home so that kept and then I started getting A couple calls from numbers that I didn't recognize I was like okay let me answer and the first person to actually call me was my friend from Hamilton one of my closest friends and she had asked me she goes hey can I ask you Uh, she's not Muslim by the way she goes what color are the carpets in your mosque and I was like that is such a weird question to ask and I was like what and then I think I said red because I was think I thought she meant the prayer rooms at uni. Um so I said red and she's like, Oh, okay, good and then I was like, Wait, do you mean the mosque mosque? And then she's like, Yeah, I was like, What they're green She's like, Oh don't check Facebook and I was like, Oh like what what's happening? And then at that same time mum came mom came inside the room she's like oh they're saying there's a shooting at the there's a shooting at the mosque she's on the phone with her friend I was like oh like it's not it's probably nothing like I didn't yeah I was like it's probably nothing it's abs- like don't worry like stop freaking out and then I go on Facebook and then I saw the video and then you know, when I watched it I literally you know couldn't it was I thought it was some sick like video game, like I genuinely thought it was like some video game and then I was like scrolling through it and then that's when I realised I was like okay, but still it didn't register how bad it was for me and then the news went on, we put the news on and it kind of kept going like two people Injured, and then it goes like five dead, and then the number kept going up. And we, I was looking at the screen, and I knew every single person that was on the screen. And that's when I started like, oh no, this is real. And then so the second thing was like, how are we gonna get my siblings? They're at schools and stuff like that. Um, so to um, one of them was at um, the preschool, the Muslim preschool. Actually, my youngest brother. And um, so we were really worried about him because we had heard people saying like, "Oh, the shooter was targeting the preschool next." So we were really freaking out about that. And then um, my two, my sister was in is in primary, and then um, my brother, my the older ones, the teenagers are at Burnside. So we weren't. We were like, okay, yeah, we couldn't get them. So we were just looking for. We we're waiting for the lo- lockdown or to lift so we could grab our siblings but me at the same time watch watching the news which was really really hard and to be honest it did not sink in like it did not sink in or for some reason I still thought it was going to be like there's there's been a mistake or it wasn't like no one had died it was just some argument that happened because when they first said it I thought it was some argument that happened outside and just people had a fight um so yeah we I think by six or seven p.m. Uh, my siblings could leave, and um, so yeah, mum went to pick. Th- oh, mum! No, mum was too scared to actually pick them up. We had a family member, a family friend, drop my drop them off home. So they came home, and we made sure they're all safe, and like gave them dinner and stuff, and. It was really sad, like, to hear that when my when my brother who's in high school, he was his year he was year eleven, he was saying that he felt so um like in the class, like all even though it was all happening, like the kids were making fun of him. Like they were making fun of him and like calling him a terrorist and like, you know, because at that point the shooter hadn't been identified, so they were kind of like putting it on him and then he was like he kept like he was like calling me and he's like, you know, like he just felt he didn't know what to do and I was like, you know, I can't I don't even know what I'd do in that situation. It was just horrible. Um so yeah, so but then we made sure they got home and stuff and then that night me, Mum and then our family friend we our family yeah, our family friends decided to go to the hospital so That's when it kind of reality started uh, kicking in. We went to the hospital that night. It was very, very quiet. The streets were so quiet. Um, It felt like a horror movie, like just driving through the empty, dark streets. We got to the hospital. The hospital was very quiet as well. It took us a bit trying to find where everyone was and they were all gathered in the cafe area. Like they had just made it a makeshift, like big meeting room. And then, yeah, just walking in, everyone was crying and just sitting down and um, just waiting. Um, So, yeah, like, I don't know how not to go in much detail, but I guess I'll just say my experience anyway. So at that point, it was like 10, 11. And the reason why people were still panicking was because, obviously, the people that had made it out alive and like just injured, they had been identified, and the people, so there was two groups of people, the people that didn't make it out of the mosque, and then there were the people that were in surgery that still haven't been identified, but there was, it was only a really small number that was in surgery, so all these hundreds of people were kind of wishing or like hoping that their loved one was one of those 10 that was in the surgery, um, so that's what they had waited on, and then I think they were being really like, we need, we need the people to be identified. People at that time didn't realize how hard it was to identify like, you know, how much, how long it takes for a body to be identified because like no one really explained the process that, um, they need the DNA samples they need the teeth samples they need like so many different samples to be able to say confidently yes this person is this because to them it's like just check their pocket for their wallet and tell us who it is you know um or like I know what my husband looks like let me go and I'll find him but you know obviously like as the law like you can't just say you know it. Ta- it it's a long process and I think um, that wasn't really explained that well. That's why people were getting really like um, anxious and frustrated, and so they were pushing um, for like pushing for answers. And we waited and waited. And then I think the best they could do was identify the people in the hospital that were still alive. And so they got up and they said, "We're gonna read a list. This is everyone." That's, that's this is everyone that's um, been, that was injured or made it out, and the, a list of the people that are still in hospital, anyone else, don't ask us about them, we don't know, we can't confirm that they're dead, but obviously you kind of put two and two together, and you kind of figure out, like, if they're not there, where would they be, and so, yeah, they started reading the list, and that was just, like, the most horrifying, it was the scariest, thing ever it was just like you know I don't know it was just a list being read and it was a huge room and by the end of it obviously a lot of people were still like that didn't hear their loved one's name so it was like it was just crazy again everyone was crying and like hugging each other people started passing out like I saw a lady I think go have like a full-on breakdown where she started laughing that was really scary to see actually I think she had lost um, a son or husband but she just started laughing and laughing and that was the sc- to be, for me that was the scariest thing because like I don't know what kind, like if she was in a shock or something and then the nurses was trying to calm her down so that was a really tough Um, yeah like our mum's like really cl- mum's closest friend, after hearing that her husband didn't make it out, she ended up having a heart attack, so mum was with her downstairs. And then, yeah, so it was just that whole night. It was, uh, it was like a nightmare. And then, um, so yeah, around three in the morning, mum said like, uh, mum said like, I'm gonna stay here with my friend. People started leaving slowly. Mum said, I'm gonna stay with my friend and try get home just so when your siblings wake up, um, you're there. And I, yeah, called a friend, she was really nice and came and picked me up. But I think as I walked out of the hospital, like at 3 a.m. that night, that's when everything kind of hit. I was like, what did I just, what just happened? Like, what just happened? And I I saw her, like she came with her mum, which is amazing for like to come pick me up at 3 a.m., she came with her mum, and yeah, I just saw them, and I was crying and crying, and cried all the way home and yeah, I made it home that night, and i don't know I don't know how I got any sleep, really, and then woke up, and then, from that day on, I was just on like I was just helping out in so many different places, like I was trying to distract myself, I was like either in the hospital or i was i I spent a lot of time with the young kids, like the youth um because I work a lot with the youth so, so I was like just making sure they're okay and then the constant um, funerals that were happening and everything like that so that whole week I just distracted myself and didn't give myself time to like fully process it um, and then yeah the stages of grief I guess or whatever you can call it um, I experienced a lot of emotion I've never experienced in my life before that like I've never ever in my whole life been an angry person except that time like I've never ever been and I wasn't angry at the situation I was just letting out my anger out on on little things like my sister like you know I would get angry at my sister or I'd get angry at something really silly and I was like wait that's not me I've never ever felt anger in my life and I was like why is that and then the anger moved into like guilt, and then I, I'd feel guilty, it's like, why, why am I alive, and why am I alive, and they're not, and then I'm like, that's so silly to think, because I wasn't even there that day, but you just get crazy thoughts like that, and then, um yeah, I can't, and then, a, a lot of it was just like, I just felt numb, I was just like, oh, I couldn't even feel anything, and then it was just sadness, and then, yeah, I think life started, oh, and on top of that, I was trying to juggle uni, like, getting back into uni, it was my final year, so I was making sure that I was trying to attend classes, and not miss anything, although it was very, very difficult, and then making, yeah, looking after the community, and, like, everyone that needed help, and just being there for everyone, yeah, so the first couple months was hectic, but I'm not gonna lie, like, thinking that it's been a year it's gone so quickly like it's been so quick yeah um but yeah I'm just at the at like now like looking back on it now like although I know it's gone so quick it feels like ages ago as well um everything that I've experienced but um like a lot of I find myself thinking about it a lot a lot recently which I don't know. At the start of the year, I didn't really. I, yeah, I find myself thinking about it like way more than usual. Um, yeah, so that was kind of my experience with that. Really, with everything that happened, it was a,
2: yeah, it was crazy. Time. Why do you think you're thinking about it now? Is um,
1: it? I have no idea. I just, I just find that I think about like my own personal safety a lot more like I've never you know as I oh, said like okay. I'm really I really love being in Christchurch it's such an awesome city and um, but I've never ever had to worry about my own personal safety um, but recently I don't know there hasn't been like one particular incident or anything but it's just really scary like Like, getting in my car, I'll have to lock the door. Like, I'll have to... I can't really... I hate being out alone. Like, you know, just little things like that. It's, like, subconscious, I guess. Um, But, yeah, it kind of... I'm always, like, oh, no, there's someone out. Not just targeting me, like... Targeting me because I'm a Muslim. Like, I could be on... In a mall and I'll be, like, what if someone does something crazy? Just to everyone, you know? I don't feel targeted because maybe... Like, I don't feel yeah maybe because I wear a scarf I'll be more verbally targeted but like the fear I feel isn't because oh someone's gonna do this to me because I wear a scarf it's more like what if there's a a person here that will do something crazy to everyone like at a mall or something and I'm like oh like wh- if I go in a mall or if I'm in a movie like I'll just be like okay if something happens where would I escape from you know like where would I Run, what would I do? You know, I'll just have to think about these things, like I just for my own, like, peace. Like, yeah, I just find myself thinking about that a lot. Um, yeah, like even at uni, like sitting in at uni, I'd be like, another job, like, okay, yeah, just make sure I'm aware of where like the exits are and just things like that, which is good to do anyway, but
2: I've never been able, I've never done that before, yeah, yeah. Oh. The and then we had the lockdown period. <laughs> then yeah. COVID hit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah So I mean, really, so so, how you know how and that impact? What was going? What was it like for you during that first lockdown period? It must have been. Yeah. So thing.
1: actually, the toughest part. It was really. I'm a very social person, so I really love going out, being with my friends, and. Um, but it was really hard not being able to do that and being mm. at home. Mm. Um, the other thing was that because I had just finished uni and stuff like that, it was the first time in my life where I wasn't doing anything. And everyone's like, "Oh, you're so lucky. You you can just you don't have anything to do." But it's like, yeah, I know. I'm gonna look back on these times and be like, "Oh, I miss those times where I didn't have any responsibility." But as humans you want to work like that's just our nature you want to feel accomplished and you want to feel like you're doing something so that was really hard for me not having anything to do like anything to look forward to so I had to start and create my own routine just like my daily routine Um, the hardest hardest part though was dad being stuck overseas so it's been almost um I think yeah I think it would have been a ovary like so he works overseas and he was it's been a year, I think, since we have it i I saw him at the start of the year because I went back home, but my younger siblings and my mum it's been a year for them um so he visits us usually around this time, like um when it's summer over there, so I think it's it had just passed, yeah, so august September, like that's summer months for them, mm-hmm. so he usually visits and he hasn't been able to which has been really hard on my family. Like we're a tight unit and we're always really close. So not having him visit has been really hard, especially on the younger ones. Um, but yeah, I think looking back, the first lockdown wasn't as bad as I thought it might be like just but those the days just blurred together, really. I can't really make much out of it or remember much. Um, yeah, I just remember that feeling of just being like, oh, I hate feeling not accomplished or, like, not doing anything. Like, it was so unmotivating and it was so unlike me. So, yeah, I was glad to be, like, out of that. Yeah.
2: Who was in your in your household bubble with you? Who? Um
1: Yeah, so we're a big family. So it was me, mum, and my five younger siblings. So it was a busy house. Um Yeah, it was really hard at the start because I just really wanted, like, and quiet so but it was good like I'd just go to my room when I wanted to be alone and then would go on family walks or like watch movies and do things together in the evening yeah Mm -hmm. um and and
2: so what was really difficult for you was the fact that you felt you weren't sort of doing anything or or achieving anything really (laughs) yeah
1: especially like you know I think after uni it's like you see everyone getting like really good jobs or like going on to like create their own businesses or like doing amazing things and you're like oh like I just feel like you know I'm behind but then when you think about it like everyone has their own timeline really Um, but yeah I just kind of yeah felt like I wasn't accomplishing anything and it was
2: just yeah really Mm. not a nice feeling (laughs) Mm. Um, Was there anything that you liked about being on lockdown? Um,
1: uh, let me think, I'm sure there was something, I mean, yeah, spending time with my family was good, like, getting to spend time as a family was really good, um, we've never, like, we do, we always go, uh, like, as a family, like, we spend time together outdoors, like, you know, but spending time together at home was different, and learning about, like, what they like, and what they enjoy, and things like that was Pretty cool, yeah. Um, Helping my sister with her, she was year three or two, Mm. so helping my younger sister with her school was Mm. um, cool. Like just seeing, it was pretty fun. Like yeah, I think I I was responsible for her um, like online schooling and things like that, and it was fun seeing her learn and all the cool things she does and stuff like that. So I mean, yeah, they were. Yeah, just spending time with my family was actually pretty all right in the end, <laughs> yeah.
2: But do you think that that lockdown had an impact on you finding a job or going ahead with your career?
1: Yeah, as I said, like, I really, really, really want to stay in Christchurch. That was my main thing because, obviously, I don't want to leave mum alone with the kids to, like, look after. Um, she doesn't want me to leave, obviously. Um... But I definitely well I I don't really know what the job market was like before COVID in terms of like my degree and where I was at, but yeah I I always wondered like could I could it have been easier if it wasn't for that I I I can't I don't really know mm. yeah mm. Um, I I guess so yeah that there'd be more opportunities mm. Yep. Mm.
2: And when did things start to change for you um, in terms of the lockdown periods, you know, was it sort of, you know, as things opened up more after the move to level three?
1: Yes, yep, yep, that gave us lots of hope and it was like, okay, like a breath of fresh air, like, okay, yep, we're, it's getting better, like all all of that was worth it, like the whole lockdown was worth it and things are getting better and the cases are going down and, yeah. So I think it was that the move to level 3 yeah.
2: And then you 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 felt that things sort of kept getting better and
1: Yeah. Not everything? Um no, everything. Yeah, I think it started getting better um but then once everything kind of fell back into normality I that feeling of like oh gosh what am I doing with my life has come up again. It's like you know even all my friends are um working um all my friends are working or studying or doing things they enjoy what am i doing like i'm not doing anything so that kind of feeling is like man like i have to do like i have to find something to do really quickly um yeah that was kind of um after everything opened up and saying that like i saw i did really see some of my friends struggle with like redundancy and stuff and how much that affected their mental health and like their well-being, um, it was really hard to see like you know they had decided to like move to like Auckland or things for like a great experience and not even a year in redundancy and stuff like that you know obviously flight attendant so <laughs> yeah one of my friends so it was really really hard to see my friends struggle as well but at the same time they bounced back really quick found just um, like retail jobs or whatever Um, To keep them going until things get better, Um, yeah,
2: yeah. Mm. Did you? What sort of things did you do to try? You know, when you were feeling like that, that you weren't sort of getting anywhere or doing anything. What What did you do to try and cope with that?
1: Um, Actually, the to be honest, like. I didn't really highlight like it has been quite bad for my mental health like you know yeah I say it's yeah I feel whatever not accomplished but it was actually really it really affected me negatively mm-hmm. um, like just on my mental health mm-hmm. and I just felt so sad all the time and so I just really didn't like that feeling but I have such a good support system especially my friends who I can talk to about everything so <clears throat> they've been amazing and they've been understanding so like talking to them has been my main thing I'm really lucky to have like a really understanding family as well and things like that. So mm. yeah, but um, I'm glad that you know, I can talk about my feelings and emotions. I know some people don't um, And so they cope in other ways. But for me yeah, talking about it really helps um, Honestly, like <clears throat> even sometimes I'm like, okay, like I've talked to my friends too much I need to stop complaining like I'll record myself and I'll just talk about my feelings like just to record myself and video record myself and talk about my feelings and stuff and just talking about it I feel like when you talk about things out loud they seem easier or like you they don't seem as bad when you say them out loud because in your head you it's everything you can think about so it piles up piles up piles up and it feels like it's too much but when you speak it out loud it's like okay that's not bad like at least I've acknowledged it and then it's not bad it's not bad in the big scheme of things and I always remind myself of how lucky I am to be in this situation and like oh yeah I'm not working at the moment but I'm so lucky to live at home or you know I'm so lucky to not have to like you know I'm not struggling as bad as other people I think Mm -hmm reminding myself of that has been really good as well.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Um, and just, you've sort of touched a bit, do you think some of those um, feelings that has impacted on your wellbeing and your mental health, do you think some of those are related to something like the pandemic, like COVID? Has that sort of had an impact on you or not really? or? Um, I don't really know.
1: It's really hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so, maybe because I feel like if not, then maybe I would have found a job earlier on in the year, and I would have been in a completely different space right now. Um, but at the same time, I yeah, I don't know. Sorry, stomach's <laughs> Um Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I I actually don't know. I always when you mentioned that I I keep thinking I'm like is it because of COVID or is it just because I everyone that graduates kind of experiences that post-graduation you know like what am I doing with my life type thing um, but I feel like definitely the pandemic kind of dampened things a little bit you know when people talk about the economy and like how bad it's been it's like oh man like I have to find a job and like do all these things in this time, like, you know, when it's really bad, like, so I feel like it does add to that pressure of like, oh, or like, yeah, I feel like it does add to that pressure or that worry of like, what's happening, like, how badly has it affected my life? Um, But Mm. I think like immediately, not really, Mm. um, except, you know, not being able to see family and things like that. But yeah. Okay. Yes, really
2: so in terms of um you know your thoughts and your plans for the future, you know sort of going forward and what you want to do and you know your aspirations yeah. for the future, do you think the the pandemic you know this ongoing pandemic has has impacted on those thoughts or plans or
1: yeah, so one of the one of the things that has impacted was I had been offered a research assistant position back home in Saudi Arabia at a uni, which is amazing because I do want to do my postgrad studies. So that would have allowed me to do my post-grad studies and kind of just like move on and like do more research. Um, but because I'm on a work visa, if I leave New Zealand, I can't come back until the borders are fully open and I don't know when that will be. So I had to put that on hold and even say like no for the time being so and and saying that that was my dream job so uh, yeah but I just had to be like if I leave I don't have a guarantee of when I'll see my family next and I don't know if I can do that so I said no and so I decided to stay in New Zealand for a couple more years maybe and like see what happens but yeah for the I think that was one of the things that really affected me looking into the future because I had hoped to be able to take that position and, like, kind of do more research and, um yeah, do my post-grad. But, yeah, I think it was just the – it was an easy decision, to be honest. It's, like, either no guarantee of, like, seeing my family for the foreseeable future or take the job. And I was like, no, I'd rather stay here with my family. And, yeah, as I said, like, it's great being here. Like, you know, it's not, like – (laughs) <laughs> this way, yes, yeah, yeah, so it's been really good, yeah.
2: Mm. So, I guess that impact, for, you know, for you and family way too, and that, it, you know, that you can't um, see your dad or go back to yeah. Saudi Arabia um, has been a bit tough too. Yeah,
1: it's been really tough, yeah, especially that I hope to like um, go back and work there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. yeah,
2: And that, as you said earlier about your. your, your Hopes to go and um, you know do some more work in, in the Arabic um, yes. language as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, because like bilingual education and things like that. But even yeah, I just wanted to work in an Arabic setting to like transfer that knowledge into Arabic and kind of get, gain that terminology and things like that. And yeah, but yeah, it didn't work out. So <laughs> yeah.
2: So you speak Arabic too, do you? Yeah, you? yeah, so it's my first language. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It's yeah. tough, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I just fingers crossed the borders yeah, open you know. sometime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully. Um, what about in a positive way at all? Does the has the pandemic sort of impacted your life or your you know, the way you live your life in a positive way, do you feel? Anything positive?
1: Um, I feel like maybe people have less or like the expectations of like from people have relaxed a little bit, like Just I don't know how to explain it, but I just feel like people's expectations of how active or how accomplished or how maybe even motivated we should be has changed. I feel people are a bit nicer in that regard or more understanding, I should say, in that regard that, you know, people might be going through something and they just need a break or um, there's not even from like a social perspective like a lot of people like a lot of times I never used to say no to like going out with friends but now sometimes I can say no and I feel like there's no I don't feel that pressure of having to be like yeah I'll come out like I think people are just more understanding like there's no pressures on having to say yes to things or doing things you're not comfortable with or things like that so I feel like yeah, a little bit of pressure has been lifted off people in terms of, like, expectations, maybe social expectations, I don't know about work, but maybe even work expectations, mm-hmm. like, people are more understanding of that life happens and things come up, yeah, yeah. and, like, mm-hmm. um, another positive thing, maybe people are talking about, more about, like, um, kind of togetherness and like how communities should come together and like recognizing like vulnerable um, populations like the elderly like I think they're during lockdown especially like people were talking about staying connected and things mm. like that that was really nice to hear and talk about yeah
0: mm.
1: yeah so, yeah I think that's a couple of positives
2: yeah mm. I think that sort of feeling resonates with perhaps the times after the shootings and after the earthquake but yeah
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that talking about resilience and, like, togetherness and community, yeah, I've seen it pop up in all three events. And, yeah, I think it's really important and it's really nice to see it come up um, and, like, being recognised and the importance of it and the importance of looking after one another. And, yeah, just as a community, so it's really Mm. good, yeah.
2: And, And what's helped you get through this crisis, you know, where, you know, particularly the COVID one I'm talking about, what sort of help, where have you gone for support?
1: Um, yeah, just social support from friends and family, really. Mm. Um, yeah, my friends have been such an amazing support, um, just talking about things, finding different ways to, like, um, yeah, finding different ways to express my emotions or, like, trying to understand my feelings better, um, has been good. Yeah, but I think friends and like, family is the biggest one for support, yeah.
2: You haven't ever thought that you might need to reach out to services or somewhere like that, or you when you're feeling really anxious, you feel that your friends provide you with that support?
1: No, because sometimes I feel like I don't want to be a burden, so I think talking, speaking to a counsellor would be really amazing but I don't really know how to go about it, to be honest. Like, I know I can go to my GP and he'd refer me and stuff, but um, since I'm moving soon, I don't know how kind of I'm like, oh, maybe if I settle somewhere else, then I can. But definitely, I mean, I've had, I've spoken to counsellors, I've seen counsellors before. Like, I saw two counsellors, one, like, each, so it's been two times. One of them was such an amazing experience, the other not so much. Um, so that last one kind of is just like, uh, should I, and then I know it's such a weird way of thinking, but I'm like, my problems aren't even that bad. Why should I take their time? (laughs) Why should I take their time? And when there's someone that's like actually struggling that needs it, I keep thinking that. So I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm like, how stupid will I look if I just go and just talk about my life when it's not even that bad? I don't know. Yeah, I keep thinking about things like that. But it'll be yeah, it would actually be really, really nice to talk to a professional. Um, I think about it all the time, actually.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just lastly, what do you think um, could be done to make things better for young women, particularly in Otago, Christchurch, you know, now and in the future? Um. I think
1: I, as someone who works with young girls, especially like high school, whatever, as a youth leader, I run a youth group for the girls, and I think the best thing for them is just getting together and like doing things together is so cool, like outdoor things, um, playing sports together. We do an annual camp, um, just that. I would call it like a safe space where like girls can get together, talk to each other, connect with one another, um, just have a good time with no other expectation is always really good um, for in thinking about women in all of Christchurch hmm that's a really good question
2: mm. are there things that you know the the communities or the um uh, you know, the local government or things that could be put in place to support young women in particular?
1: There's definitely lots of things that could be done, but
2: (laughs) let me think.
1: Um, I don't know, I just know that there's so many amazing women like here in Christchurch, but we really hear about them and like the accomplishments they do so it'll be really nice to see something where we can hear about the accomplishments of other young women in Christchurch and the impact they've made and the things they've done so maybe kind of like a network or just I I can't really put it into words but yeah Mm -hmm. it's there's so many like I know some amazing young women that have done like amazing things but People don't really know mm-hmm. about them or like don't really hear um, so I don't know if there's a way to kind of like amplify their voices and make them heard and seen and acknowledge like the things that they have done for the community and like or like in their fields whether it be like science or sports or engineering mm-hmm. or anything yeah particularly for other young women to hear that yeah for sure because as a young like there were so many instances at uni where I wanted to join like a club um, or I wanted to join something and I was really hesitant until I saw a photo of maybe a woman in a scarf in that group photo and I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do that, like easy. So uh, that has happened to me a lot of the time where I see another person that looks like me and I'm like, okay, I can do it. Like if that person's done it, easy. Um So speaking of young women in general like if they see someone that's accomplished a certain thing they're like oh, okay I can see myself doing that mm. um, I never realised how powerful that was like seeing representation until like it's happened to me a few times where it's like I've seen something and I'm like okay immediately like I've got I had that confidence to be like I can try it out just mm. from a simple photo mm. so yeah it's been really nice mm. oh
2: look that's fantastic thank you oh, so welcome. much i us leave it there
0: Listen to more stories from Making the Most of Now on Plains FM 96.9, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 5 p.m. And get the podcast at plainsfm.org.nz, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.